good to be with you this morning. And um, as Jeff said, we're, we're slowly making our way here. We've been here about, uh, I've been here for about six weeks. My family is uh, finishing up the school year back in the Austin area and then making our way here. And uh, uh, Houston area, the Woodlands, much different than Lake Travis in Austin, Texas. All right. Now, I know we probably have a lot more Aggies in this room than in Austin. Uh, I, I was waiting for that. Right. And, uh, but you know, it is different. You have trees. Like I can never find anything here. I'm like, where is the gas station? It says it's here on the map. I just didn't know. It's beyond the trees. You know, in Austin, we don't have to worry about those things. But um, uh, so we're slowly starting to get to know the area, slowly um, uh, kind of integrating. But we are so happy to be here at Woods Edge. We believe that God has so many good things planned for this church family, for this city, as we all chase together of becoming a, 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 a city, a, a city that is, that is being transformed by God a city of God here in the Houston area. Now, my mom's also excited. I talked to her this morning. She said, hey, boo-boo. That's what she calls me. I'm 43 years old, but she still calls me boo-boo. She said, hey, boo-boo, you know, uh, just make sure you let them know, you know, that, that they're in good hands with you. And I'm like, mom, I, I'm not really gonna say it. She goes, well, at least get me a picture. And so I'm like, my mom loves pictures. So uh, I said, okay, mom, I'll get you a picture. So I am gonna get her a picture and I'll send it back to her. Uh, so this is what we gotta do, everybody. Everybody smile. This is for... Uh, this is for Mama Billy Sue, and um, let's see if we can get this. All right, I need like this whole section to lean this way, if you can. There we go, there we go. This is awesome. Some of you are like, I got, I can, you can buy, borrow my iPhone, it doesn't, you know, Pamarant, no, no, no. This is, this is what Mama likes, right here. She likes these right here. Well, you know, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Philippians chapter 1, if you have a Bible, I, I encourage you to open there. But Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippians. And, and, and what we know is that when he writes this, this letter and he's writing to the church of Philippians, he, 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 he's, he's, he's going to let them know a little bit about difficult problems. When you face difficult problems, he has such an affection for this church in, in Philippi. See, the Apostle Paul, during a second missionary journey, he was actually called by God, a vision from God, Acts chapter 16. He was in the city of Troas, and, and through a vision, God said, Paul, come over to Macedonia. So he travels across the Aegean Sea, he gets into Macedonia, and there he meets these people in Philippi, and, and, and the church is birthed. And Paul only spent about three months with these folks in Philippi. But yet, there was a thriving church. And he writes this letter to them later on. And, and Paul did visit there just very briefly in his third missionary journey. He went back just to check in, but, but nothing, nothing notable. And yet he had this strong affection for these people in Philippi. The church in Philippi was uh, probably the most generous church for him and as well as his, uh, as far as his material support while he is on the field and primarily while he was in prison. He's actually writing this letter from prison. Paul's writing this letter from prison back to the church of Philippi. And, and the reason why he's writing this letter is he wants them to know just a few things. Number one, he, he wants them to understand his thankful heart towards them. Paul writes this in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. So he wants to thank them. Why is he thankful? Because they've, they've been supplying his needs through his time in, in prison. So he says, I thank you for it. He says, 
And always and in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is writing them. He just wants to thank them. Thank you. He's also writing to them to, to affirm to them the, the, their servant Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the one who would go and take the goods and, and supply the apostle Paul's needs from the church of Philippi. And what you're going to learn out of the book of, Phil, uh, of Philippians is that Epaphroditus almost died for the sake of taking care of the apostle Paul. And so Paul is going to send him back and he wants to just say, hey, you should be proud of this man. This man has served me well. Thank you. And he's also writing them to just kind of catch up on his circumstances, letting him know that, yes, I'm still in prison and I am imprisoned. This is four of what we call the prison epistles in the New Testament that Paul writes. It's probably the last one. It's probably written in 61, 62 AD. And he writes to them and he's wanting them to know this. When it comes all down to it, he wants them to know what he says in verse 18. He says, rejoice. And always I say, rejoice. I mean, Paul is in the middle of a difficult circumstance. He's sitting in prison. And yet he's writing back to this church in Philippi, and he's letting them know, not, not, just, thankful, not just thank you for everything you've done for me, not just here's a Paphroditus, not just that, um, uh, you know, that, that you supplied my needs, but what he really wants them to know and grasp in, the, in this letter to them is he wants them to know that there is joy. There can be joy even in the face of difficult times. We can experience joy. It's all so Paul pushes them to the person of Jesus. He pushes them to understand joy. And I don't know about you, but in our world today and in our culture, joy is very difficult to come by. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the moment that we have our arms around joy, it's so fickle, it kind of goes away. It disappears on us. And maybe it's because of our expectations or what we believe to be true about happiness. Most of our happiness and our joy is based upon outward circumstances that, that surround us. It's, it's based on circumstances. In fact, in psychology, we call it the optimistic bias. Optimistic bias basically states this, that we believe that our tomorrow is better than our present. Therefore, we can stay optimistic and find some joy. But what happens when you get to tomorrow and it's worse than yesterday? Like you get there, thinking that it's going to be better and you turn around and say, I just want to go back to yesterday because it was better. And what we find is that for the majority of the people in our world and the majority of the people that live around us, maybe even ourselves and the majority of people in this room, what happens is we begin to crumble like a deck of cards. And the circumstance takes over. We also know that in emotional behavior research calls this the hedonic treadmill. And what that belief is that, you know, if I could just get here, if I could just get this job promotion to make more money, then I will experience happiness. Have you ever thought that way? If I could just get that perfect date, then I'll experience happiness. And then what happens when you get that date and you're like, well, that didn't go so well. That was a letdown. And Paul is saying that 
Most of our joy is based upon circumstances, but he's attesting to in this letter that our joy doesn't have to be wavering based upon circumstances. Our joy is found in the person of Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul, in the middle of his circumstances, can say, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's consider his circumstances as he writes this letter. Paul is in prison. Not only is he in prison, but he's basically on death row. He is waiting for the thumbs up, thumbs down, if he's going to be executed. What we know is that he probably had two soldiers that were at least, at least stationed to him, if not chained to him, 24 hours a day. And he's writing to him, and he's like, listen, in all things I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. We also know about the Apostle Paul when we read through his letter to the church of Corinth. The Apostle Paul talks about the suffering that he's had for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes this. He says, far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, from the Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from my false brothers in toil and in hardship. I mean, the list goes on and on. He says, and above all this, I carry the pressure and the anxiety of the churches. I mean, Paul's life wasn't just like, you know, a walk through the park. The man ended up being a martyr for the sake of Christ. But yet what he's going to tell the church of Philippi in this letter, and what he tells us today is that our joy should not be based upon circumstances of our life. They are based upon the person, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. It's a joy that can be experienced. It's not in the outward circumstances, but it's something inward. It's the person of Jesus. And what we all have in common with the Apostle Paul and even the, the people in Philippians, the, the church in Philippi. I mean, they're, they're struggling too. Frank Thielman, in his commentary about the church of Philippians, he says this, the Philippians are enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel. They're suffering political persecution and they're experiencing anxiety about others who are suffering the same reason. So Paul's suffering, Church of Philippi is suffering, but yet the Apostle Paul claims there is joy to be had. There's joy to be had. What we have in common with the Apostle Paul is this, is that you are either walking through a trial, a crisis, a negative circumstance, you have just come through a trial, or if that's not you, a trial is on its way. And for some of you, you're saying, I'm experiencing all three at the same time. We live in a broken world. In fact, we live in the brokenness of a world that is screaming out for the day of Jesus so it can be renewed and repaired, but we live in brokenness. And some of our brokenness in our life, it's, it's things that we've created. It's decisions we've made, mistakes that we've made, and we've caused the problems. Some of the problems aren't ours. We, we don't know why. When you got the doctor's report about your cancer, you, you can't explain it. 
It's the father who goes off to work and all of a sudden uh, is called in and says that he's laid off and he's got a family of five and he's like, what am I going to do? He didn't create it. And when we go and we walk through trials like this, what we find ourselves doing is asking the question, God, where are you? Don't you care? I mean, hello, (laughs) did you not see me here? And Paul is saying that if we don't learn the lessons that he gives to the church of Philippi, the situation that we think is desperate really will be desperate. So Paul says that there is a lesson to be learned when we walk through trials in difficult circumstances. And the first lesson that we can learn from the Apostle Paul is that Paul recognized who was in charge. Paul recognized who was in charge. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, in the same passage, verse 18 and 19, he says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's saying that I will rejoice, because why? Even though I'm sitting here in prison, waiting on death row, and I've, and I've been through my problems and my trials, I can sit here and know that God is in charge through your prayers, through his spirit. I know that ultimately this will bring deliverance. I know ultimately I'm going to be okay. He understood God's sovereignty doesn't mean he, he, he fully understood what God was doing, but he understood that God was sovereign, God was in charge, and God, it wasn't like all of a sudden God just decided to walk off his throne. Paul understood. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus, G- G- Jesus is, is still in charge of my life. Jesus still has everything completely under control, and I don't have to worry. Because when I recognize who's in control, it actually enables me to, su- to submit to difficulties with joy, knowing that God is doing something in my life. Look at the promise that the Apostle Paul has here in Philippians chapter 1. And he encourages the church of Philippi. He says, you know, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will be what? I, I, I'm sorry. Will be what? Faithful to complete it. That's the promise. That's the promise that was purchased for you on the cross of Jesus Christ when he died. That's a promise that he paid for. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And though your circumstances may seem turned upside down and you're wondering where God is, God is still in control and he is still going to be faithful in what he's doing in your life. I remember not too long ago, uh, we bought, uh, my wife and I we, and our family, we, we moved into a new house. We had no idea that God was going to send us to Woods Edge. Ha ha, thanks, uh, God, on that one. But we had no idea, so we bought this house a little over a year ago. And for the first time in our 18, 19 years of marriage, we decided to buy a house that was going to be a fixer-upper. Now, the irony to all this is, is I don't even own a tool. <laughs> like, I don't. I, I have, like, that one Leatherman that has, like, the pliers and the knife and, like, the file on it. That's what I got. And, uh, but my wife's like, oh, baby, you can do it. We can do this together. We've been watching too much HGTV. <laughs> You know, to actually think that we could do this. So we buy this old house, old lake house on Lake Travis, and, uh, and we're determined. And so I, I learned everything on YouTube. 
you know, I'm like, hey, that wall needs to come out. I'll figure it out, you know. Google it, and uh, that's what you do. Go to a friend's house, buy a tool, you know, a hammer to take it down, give it back to them, walls down, next project. And, and one day, you know, we, 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 got, we got pretty good ways away, you know, pretty good, pretty good ways into the, all the projects. But one night, my wife's walking through the kitchen, and she says to me, she says, Denny, you know what I've noticed about some of your home projects? And I said, what's that? I, I'm actually pretty proud of myself knowing that I have no handyman skills at all. And she's like, I've noticed that they're all about 80% done. And I was like, listen, 80% got me through high school and it got me through college. So I'm good with 80%. We're good. And I said, if you wanted the job done completely, you should have contracted out God because he'll get it done. Because he who is faithful will be, will be faithful to complete it, right? And that's true in your life. That's true for you. Even in the middle of your difficult circumstance, you're asking the questions, God, where are you? God, are you still in charge here? God, what's going on? And what God is saying, hey, hey, just give me some time. It takes a while to develop. Right? Just takes a while. Doesn't mean he's not faithful. Doesn't mean God's not in charge in the middle of your circumstance. It just means God is doing everything according to his goodwill and his good purposes in your life. Paul also recognized that not only did he recognize who is in control, but what we find in this passage is that the Apostle Paul, he redefines his circumstances in light of his purpose and his vision. He he starts to think in a different way that, that I'm going through a difficult time. God's in charge, but also God has purposes and he has plans. God is sovereign. God is good. He's working his purpose. He's working his plans. He's working his purpose in your life. He's working his plan in your life. He's working his purposes in his plan in this world. It's for his glory. It's for your good. That's what he's doing. And Paul recognized, I'm going to redefine my circumstances in light of God's vision for my life. Look what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All the suffering, all the difficult things I've walked through, being here in prison, it's actually served for the advancement of the gospel. It's actually served out God's purpose for my life. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is saying that in my difficult circumstances, in my problems, He's like, I'm actually seeing that God is leveraging this for not only his good, but what my life purpose is, is to be on mission with him. And Paul's saying, me being in prison has actually advanced the gospel. Paul was, understand, was able to take his mind and, and zoom out away from just his circumstance to ultimately try to get a perspective of what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in relationships around me, what God is in, doing in the lives of people around me. He's able to zoom out. He goes on to say, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, 
Christ will be exalted, exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And we all know this verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul took his circumstances. He saw it with a different perspective of God's vision, God's view. It says that God is working his plans. He's working his goodwill, his vision in this world. I'm stepping into it. And I know that ultimately God is God's advancing the kingdom here. I think Paul would probably would have loved it any other way. I don't think Paul wanted to die a martyr. I don't think the Apostle Paul wanted to go through all the mishaps that we find that he wrote to the church of Corinth. I don't think the Apostle Paul wanted to be sitting on death row. But at the end of it, he looked around and said, it's advancing the gospel. And so Paul was able to remind himself that, that there's joy in this and remind himself of God's truth. That God is sovereign, God's in charge, God has a purpose for my life. That's the truth. And in the middle of this difficult time, he's reminding him of truth. The hard part for me is that a lot of times when I go through difficult times, I don't embrace truth. In fact, many times I'm listening to the lies in my own head. That's not true. Lies such as, I told you God doesn't care about you. I told you God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. I told you you would mess that up. It's all your fault. And it just goes around and around and around. I assume you're probably not much different than me. As you know, we are about to move. And so we're starting to pack things up. And we have these boxes. And I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but we have boxes in our house that have gone from attic to attic for the last, oh, 20 years. They have no idea what's in them. They just, they just always have a home in the attic. So I decided here that, you know, just recently, I'm going to open up these boxes. I'm actually going to see what's inside these boxes. It'd be a good thing. Maybe we can get rid of some stuff. So, you know, I start going through these boxes and, and I find things, uh, the irony of this, I find things that I actually gave away to my parents and they gave it back to me. <laughs> like in the box is like that Mother's Day card that I gave to my mother, like when I was 12, it's back in this box that they gave back to me somehow. Like it's their keepsake, so keep it, right? For my sake, you keep it. Somehow I got it all back. Well, as I was digging through the boxes, I happened to come across one of these little guys. Um, I don't know. Now, some of you millennials in here have no idea what this is. Uh, you can find these in museums all across the country. And um, it's a cassette tape. Back in our day, we didn't have Bluetooth. We had your fingers and you pressed a button that said play. You want to fast forward, you pressed fast forward. And you waited. You waited to hear the pause. So you know, okay, next song, right? And, um, and so that's what this is. We didn't keep phones in our pockets. We kept them on cassette tapes. And uh, we didn't have Spotify. We didn't have any of this. But if you wanted, you could make yourself a playlist. And you could call it a mixtape. <laughs> now, mixtapes were critical in the life of a teenager. Uh, when I was growing up in uh, 1989, uh, it was critical. I mean, the mixtape. Um, by the way, you, you, I mean, you had to go through a lot of work to make a mixtape. I'm starting to remember this. Now you just 
click and drop into a playlist, but then you had to push like three buttons at the same time, you know? And um, I mean, it was hard. Uh, but it was a mixtape, and mixtapes are great because come Valentine's Day, if you had a girlfriend, baby, got you a mixtape. You just hand it to her. Like, you, you gave a mixtape to a girl. This was uh, letting them know, it's getting serious up in here. And um, before I give you my Letterman jacket, I'm going to run the mixtape by you. So, got a mixtape. You're probably wondering what's on it, aren't you? I know, you, I know you're wondering what's on it. Let's see. Let me give you a little taste. 1989. I'll be rolling my 1972 Datsun pickup in 1989. All right. Five different colors, by the way. So let's see what we got. Yeah. You remember those days. Some of you guys had the most stupid looking haircut ever. And you try to hide those pictures from high school. But we know you had that hair, that vanilla ice hair, you know. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new edition, okay? All right, you remember it, you remember it. All right, how about this one? How about this one? We built this city on rock and roll, people, which was ironic because I lived in a town of like 12,000 people. And I'm rolling in my 1972 Datsun pickup like, that's right. No one knows who we are, but we built it, all right? I do believe some of you ladies are still listening to this song. Pump up the jam. This was like the ultimate party song. That's like, that's all you had to do. Some of you ladies, it's on your playlist and tomorrow you're gonna be at the gym. Come on. One more mile, come on, pump it up. Things went bad in a relationship, you are definitely rolling this in the old 1972 pickup. This is the ultimate breakup song. I, I start to cry just thinking about it. Tell them about the new love you found. Remember that? Angie Yeager, I remember you, my first girlfriend. But what we all like is the chorus. Remember the chorus? Don't even look at me. Don't even look at me. You're like, what does that have anything to do with this? Maybe nothing, I don't know. A lot of times we go through difficult times in life, and you know what? We got our mixtape. The mixtape of lies that aren't from God. It's the things we tell ourselves over and over and over and over and over again. I told you God doesn't love you. I told you you can't trust God with this problem. I told you God's not concerned. I told you you would mess it up. It's just the mixtape that goes round and round and round. But this is why when you see two people who, who are faced with the exact same circumstances, they're both facing the same circumstances. One leans into God in the middle of the circumstance. The other one leans away from God and you get two different results. 
Like one, one leans into God because what they understand is that, that God is in charge. God has a purpose for all this. So I lean into his truth. And Paul even writes to the church of, of Philippi in this passage. And what he tells them and he, what he reminds them is he, he shows them that this is God's plan and purpose for your life. It's steady progress in your walk with him, with, with the day of Jesus in view. It's steady progress. He writes to him in verse 9, And it's my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Some who walk through circumstances, they lean into Jesus. And when they lean into the truth of Christ, what happens? Their knowledge of God increases. Their affections of God increase. And their affections for others increase. They begin to live out this passage. They begin to see what is pure, what is right, what is righteous. They, they begin to experience the fruits of righteousness because they're leaning into Christ, into the truth. Others, they'll lean away from God into lies. And, and what they'll experience is a diminishing of their knowledge of God, a diminishing of their affections of God, therefore a diminishing of their affections with others. And God is saying, and Paul is saying, hey, 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 during your difficult times, lean in because when you lean in, the purposes of God are gonna be played out in your life. You're going to abound in knowledge. You're going to abound in love. You're going to abound in purity. You're going to abound to know what is true, what is right, what is noble. You're gonna abound in the fruits of righteousness. So lean into truth. Lean into me. And Paul is telling the church of Philippi, you lean, lean into him. And then Paul would also say that not only is God in charge, not only is, is his purpose is good in our life, but Paul would remind us as he reminds the church of Philippi that, that as we walk through our problems that we focus on eternity. We keep our life in perspective in light of eternity. Paul says this, Philippians 1, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will be, that will full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He's saying, hey, what do I want to do? I mean, his circumstances are pretty negative. He's saying, well, I'd rather just go be with Jesus. But he goes on to say, but I know that, that for me to stay here is better for the kingdom, is better for you. And so I'll stay. And, and he remembers that he puts his, his, his life in the perspective of eternity. Because why? He knows what true joy is, just like we know what true joy is. It's in the author and perfecter of our faith. He is what scripture says, the joy set before us. So sometimes we have to look out of our present and out of our struggles and look towards the future and eternity. Saying ultimately, God is in charge. God is doing a work in my life. He who is faithful to complete it will complete it. It's for his purposes 
So I lean into his truth. I lean into him. And when I lean into him, I abound. And I understand that there is eternity there. There is a savior that gives hope and love. And Paul's telling the church of Philippi, lean, lean into a joy that's not based on circumstances. Some of you are going through circumstances right now. I get it. And what you're saying is, hey, Denny, appreciate it. Great sermon. Well, at least 80% good. <laughs> I get it. But you're a pastor. That's what you're supposed to say. Like you're supposed to give us those, that encouragement. You just don't understand what I've gone through. I am a pastor, but I have been to that place. You got problems in your life? Come down, take a seat next to me. Been there. Problems I've created, problems that were created upon me. I've been to that place where literally laying on the ground and taking a breath would be optimistic. Full of despair. And if it wasn't for a few people and a wife that loved me and a Savior named Jesus Christ that came and breathed breath into dry bones in broken circumstances. You know, as Michael said earlier, it's prayer and care um, emphasis week here at Woods Edge. We have people here at Woods Edge that want to walk your journey with you. They want to bring hope in the middle of your journey. If you're going through that difficult time, we have folks who want to journey with you through that. And they're going to give you hope. But here's the deal. We are pushing your focus to exactly what Apostle Paul said to the person of Jesus. Jesus is where you're going to find your joy, even in the middle when life seems like it's falling apart. Is we're going to push you towards Christ. And all that God does, we have to remember that he is in charge and he has a plan. And all he's doing is taking his time to develop you. It's all a process that he's fully in charge of. And as Michael said earlier, we are all the people in progress. But thankfully, we have someone who's in charge of the progress. Thankfully, we have someone who's in charge of the process. And that's God and a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, as we come together in just a moment and we take worship together, uh, as we take communion together, Lord, I pray that you will remind us that as we come before you, we take of the bread and we take of the cup that we're reminded that our hope was purchased for us on the cross. May we be reminded that we, um, uh, Lord, as we, as we take of the bread that represents your broken body, as we take of the cup that represents the blood that was spilled, that on that cross it was the accomplished works of Christ, the complete accomplished works of Christ that gives us the hope for tomorrow and the hope for today, that we can walk through difficult times. We know that you're in charge. We know that you will be faithful. And we know that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And it allows us to say, yes, and I will rejoice 
I will rejoice for the hope that's set before me, the person of Jesus.